Aren't you glad for a silent night that wasn't so silent and made an eternal reverberation of praise? Well, I'm sorry to report to you that our pastor has a bad fever. He's, it's so bad that he could only get it cured in South Carolina. It's buck fever. And, um, he gets it every year about this time. Am I too hot on this thing? Okay, keep, it's okay? It just sounds okay. Well, how's your week been? Okay, y'all going to have to be louder than that tonight. Appreciate um, the little church down 69 Sunday, and man, they were quiet, quiet crowd. Well, we're here. What time is it? Okay. I was going to head some thoughts tonight. Um, wanted to share with you. want to ask you a question starting out. Whenever, whenever um, someone says the word discipleship, what kind of response does that evoke in your mind? Discipleship. Work? Teaching? Whenever I was growing up and whenever I came to the Lord, um, you know, we we tried to have discipleship classes. Um, So a lot of it's what I thought too, whenever you say the word discipleship, you know, is it learning the Roman road? Um, Is it learning some apologetic type scriptures so that you have a case to state if you ever back yourself in a corner with that adamant atheist at work has never happened to me by the way but um so whenever you hear the word discipleship to disciple to to be part of discipleship um sitting here with us in this room tonight it's possible i I don't know many of you intimately but i do know some of you um but sitting with us in the room tonight, there may be those that have attained a um, high title in whatever it is that you do. Uh, some in this room may have gone up the corporate ladder and gotten so high that you're just filthy rich. Does anybody, does that meet, anybody meet that criteria so far? Um, you may have a, 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 a high income level. Uh, There may be some in here that are, and this is quite possible in a university city, uh, there's quite likely that there's people that come in here and out of here every Wednesday and Sunday that they've gone as far up the educational ladder that they have initials after their names, doctor, you know. Um, There are probably some in the room even tonight that went after the military and Whenever you left the military, you may have been highly ranked, um, highly decorated. I heard Jim was decorated like Audie Murphy. You know who Audie Murphy is? Most decorated. Yeah. And, and 
you know, there's some in this room tonight that, um, and, and I didn't realize this when Brother Lynn started having me fill in for him at different times, but do you know how many people have a theological background in this church that have ministry license or they've gone through seminary? Or, and whenever I found that, I was like, whoa, that is intimidating to stand in front of people like that because crazy little country boy can sure make some boo-boos. But um, I'd like to submit to you that regardless of what you may have done and what you may have achieved, that there's something that not very many people have done and achieved that carries greater weight and greater title than that. And that is to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple. That, That doesn't negate that the importance of what you've already done or what you've accomplished, and that doesn't negate the historical importance of what's uh, happened in your life. But if you can make the claim of being a disciple of Jesus, you've done something that there's not very many people that have. And it's, it's not necessarily because people can't do it. It's because they won't do it. There, there's a big difference there. Now I'm going to unapologetically tell you that much of what I'm going to speak from tonight um, is going to be shared from uh, the famed pastor out on the West Coast by the name of Greg Lowry. Do not get him confused with Hugh Lowry. Does anybody know who Hugh Lowry is? He was House, the doctor on TV. Not the same guy, okay? But uh, Greg Lowry, um, I love this guy. I, I, I don't keep up with many of the the preachers and everything, but Greg Lowry, what a heart for evangelism. Every year his church does this thing called the Harvest Outreach, and they pack out Anaheim Stadium like seven nights in a row. It's like this Billy Graham type thing, only it's it's incredible what they do. And that's the main, we were talking before service, you do one or two things, but you do them excellent. I mean, that's what they pour their resources and everything into. But Greg Lowry made a statement one time. He said, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. So, let me ask you, and I've got two portions of Scripture, and I'll try to be brief tonight, but what do you think the number one and the most important reason is that we should get serious about this idea of being a disciple and making disciples? I mean, you can talk to me. You got it! Sunday morning I was preaching and and, uh, I kept talking to the congregation and they they just wouldn't talk. And they didn't have children's church, so Tucker raised his hand, he started talking. I mean, he just, he started taking where I said, would you like a a microphone, son? And and one of the guys said from the back, said, you asked for people to talk to you and you got what you wanted, but... Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. While you're turning there, I, I talked to Pastor Lynn via text message before service, well, this afternoon sometime, and I said... Uh, any meat on the ground? And he said, uh, no. He said, I've seen 14 so far. He said, I've seen um, mostly all does, two spikes, and I'm just waiting for Big Daddy to walk out here. So, 
But Matthew chapter 28, we're going to go to the very end, all the way down to uh, verse 16. 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus... Yeah, I'm in the right spot. Uh, The mountain that Jesus had told them to go, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So here we look at the command of Christ, and He says for believers to go and preach to, it says here, it says every nation, but that word is ethnos. Every ethnos, every people tribe, every people group that there is, go and preach to that group. And how can we know, let me see, let me, let me see if I can phrase this right. How can we do this? How can we go make disciples if we don't know what one is? Does that make sense? And this is is very important. I never really noticed this until I started studying. It's very important to know what a disciple is because Jesus told us to go and make disciples. It literally takes one to make one. Okay? So... I want to talk about being a disciple. What is a disciple? Junior Bible quiz question is answered as one who comes to learn or someone who comes to be taught. Simple enough. That's what we're going to do. So a lot of people seem to get that confused with apostle, and they think that a disciple is someone who is one of the inner 12 that, that the Lord gave the power to build the church and all of this and that. But a disciple is one who comes, a pupil that comes to learn, a learner or someone who comes to be taught. So don't get those confused. You can be and we are expected to be modern day disciples. The relationship that a disciple has with his teacher is somewhat of a special relationship. There's a bond. There's an appreciation between the two that goes far beyond a transaction of ideas exchanging between the two. Uh, it's not merely a student listening to a teacher, and it's, it's not um, uh, somebody passively listening that's interested. Uh, I listen, uh, look, there is no one in Tuscaloosa County that listens to more podcasts. I wear out iTunes U. Some of them come from Islamic backgrounds that I listen to. Some of them come from uh, very liberal backgrounds. Some of them come from, um, I, I'm just trying to think of the gamut of, of people that I, I like to listen to all these different perspectives. But just because I listen to these perspectives uh, because I'm interested doesn't mean that I'm a disciple. Does that make sense? Of that persuasion. But a disciple listens with attention and intention. A disciple drinks in every word that his teacher is making, uh, every word of his teacher. He, he, he marks every inflection of his voice. And he intensely desires to share what he has learned. 
Um, I know some people that went to one of the big word faith conventions out toward the West, we'll just say it like that, and came back with probably 45 books from various faith teachers that they ran into, and they were so eager to start sharing all this stuff, you know, that they had learned. That's a disciple. But here's the hard part that a lot of people don't like. Did you know that there are requirements associated with being a disciple of Jesus? That's where I want to go to. I want to go to Luke chapter 14. This is going to be where the, the majority of all this comes from tonight, okay? Luke chapter 14. Mrs. Burdine said that she didn't want to hear me preach, so she stayed at home tonight. No. Uh, if you've seen on Facebook, little Wyatt, he, he's, he's had a rough go of it. So keep him. Well, she was kind of sick before Wyatt got sick, and then Sunday morning I woke up sick, and it's just it's been fun around our place. I would invite you over, but don't come over. You know, I want you to get what... Luke chapter 14, skip down to verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross... And follow me, cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able uh, with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him and with 20, or coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation um, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for soil nor for the manure pile it is thrown out. So whoever has ears, let him hear. Let them hear. Um, Jesus laid out the test and the requirements of discipleship. And Jesus saw that huge crowds, I, I just, I love to go back and, just kind of reminisce and and try to picture a guy walking around in the wilderness and throngs of people following him. But Jesus saw large crowds gathering. And and let me make this distinction. There is a huge difference between large crowds and disciples. This whole time that this was going on, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, not looking for large crowds. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem making disciples. 
And Jesus, he, he knew that these people that were following him, they believed his message and they accepted his message in principle, but they didn't necessarily accept his message and believe his message in practice. But prior to this point where Jesus is here, Jesus had already shown how this message of the gospel was for everyone. And he had already shown the cronyism of the Pharisees and, and the uh, hypocrites that they were. He, and as a result of this, I mean, we just had an election where a guy got elected, and I'm not trying to go political, but he was elected because he went against the grain. He went against the establishment, and that's what Jesus was doing. He went against the establishment, and he became enormously popular because, well, he also had the hand of God and the touch of the Holy Spirit upon his life, you know. But he, he, went, he went against the grain. He went against the establishment, and he became wildly popular for this. And now he wanted to turn around to the people that were following him, and he wanted to weed those out that were following him because of the wrong reasons. You remember that, that whole talk about separating the wheat from the chaff, the wheat from the tares? So now he wanted to weed these people out that were following just for the wrong reasons because many came. And all they wanted to do is they wanted to be dazzled by a miracle that Jesus might do. And, and others came because they wanted a free meal. But a few of them even came because they hoped that Jesus would overthrow the Roman Empire and set up the kingdom. But Jesus turned to the multitude that was following Him and He preached a sermon that deliberately thinned out the ranks. I mean, this was separating wheat and chaff here if there ever was something. When you read through that 25 through 35, three times Jesus says in that message, that simple little message there, that word picture that He paints, three times He says the phrase, cannot be My disciple. In other words, Jesus was laying out some absolute requirements for discipleship. So what are these disciples? Or what are these requirements that Jesus expects of His disciples? Requirement number one. You must love God more than anyone else. Because loving God more than anyone or anything else is the very foundation of being a disciple. Um, if you want to live your Christian life to the fullest then you must love Jesus more than you love anything. And Jesus, He goes on to make a very difficult statement for some people when He, when he speaks about this. He, he says the word hate. And, and um, that, that's hard for some people. Jesus' uh, disciples must subordinate every relationship that they have to the loyalty of Christ. Um, Jesus' remark about the hate, though, is an example of hyperbole from the Hebrews. It, it, it's, um, it's a way to contrast and compare. Jesus doesn't mean that you need to look at your parents with disdain or your children with hatred in your heart. This is, to hate one's family um, was a way of expressing an importance for allegiance to Jesus. Um, it's, it's a contrast. It's a way to do a contrast. 
Um, he uses the, the word hate as opposite to love, but you think about that. I, I got to thinking, isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't pick something that was easy to hate, like sin? He, he didn't pick um, men that abuse their wives. He didn't pick childhood cancer. He didn't pick injustice. He didn't pick poverty. He didn't pick child abusers. He picked the one thing that is the most noble love that we could possibly have in the world, and that's the love toward our family. I think that's interesting that he did that. And he, he used that analogy to show that our love for God, for Jesus, must take preeminence over everything. Either you will have harmony with God and be in conflict with the world, or you will have harmony with the world and be in conflict with God. And friction with God. So, your love for God should be so strong if you're a disciple. If, you, if, you, if you're a disciple, your love for God should be so strong that for others, it is like hatred in comparison for other things. Does that make sense? I love, this is a cheap example, I don't want to use this. I love Sonic's Waffleberry Master Blast. <laughs> Probably more than any other ice cream in town. But my wife buys these Winn-Dixie ice cream sandwiches. And I like them too. But I love the Waffleberry Master Blast. Okay? It's contrast. I like them both. I love them both. But I really love this one over here. So that's kind of what Jesus, that's a cheap analogy for what Jesus was trying to say. John Wesley, you ever heard of the guy? John Wesley once said, he said, Give me a hundred men who love God with all their hearts and fear nothing but sin, and I will move the world. So let me ask this question. Um, Abraham, he had to prove his love to God. He had to prove his trust to God. Are you willing to take your Isaac, and your Isaac can be vastly different than my Isaac, but are you willing to take your Isaac and dedicate your Isaac to the Lord? Will you, you step out from the multitudes of the fickle and the fair-weather followers and be a true disciple of Jesus, loving Him more than anyone or anything else. That's what He's called us to. If you want to be a disciple, that's one of the requirements. So the first, the first requirement, love God more than anyone or anything else. Requirement number two, deny yourself and take up what? I'm going to see if you're listening. Deny yourself and take up your cross. He says in verse 27, he says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The greatest barrier to discovering all that God has is our preoccupation with self. 
Um, we have become a self-obsessed society. I think I've talked about this. I won't drone on about this. But Jesus' mandate to deny yourself, take up your cross, um, goes against the grain of our popular culture. I don't think his message would be popular in a lot of mega churches these days. Um, in fact, many in the church today um, have been advocating that we answer most of our problems by elevating our self-esteem so that we feel good about ourselves and we bolster our feelings of self-worth. But Jesus says to deny yourself or to repudiate, to disdain, to disown, to forfeit, to totally, totally disregard. It's a requirement. C.S. Lewis said, the real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or you see yourself as a small, dirty object. It's better to forget about yourself altogether. Bearing your cross actually means dying to oneself. Why did Jesus use this particular illustration? I mean, he took a radical symbol of death to get people's attention. Can, can you imagine um, Francis Chan? You all heard of Francis Chan? Getting up and saying, bear your electric chair, let's see, and deny yourself, or, or how about, bear your um, lethal injection. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Jesus took a word picture, a cross, that was so people couldn't, it was just abhorrent to think about. And he says, bearing your cross. So today, bear your public caning. Bear your lethal injection. I mean, it's just, you just Jesus is being shock jock here is what he's doing with his words. He's saying something so, hate your family and bear death upon your back. He's saying something that is just so radical. And if you can read what Jesus said, wow, he was radical. Um, But he uses this symbol to get people's attention. And, you know, a lot of times in church we have spiritualized uh, uh, the way we talk and well, everybody's got to bear their own cross, brother. That might mean that, you know, you smoke and that's your, that's your cross that you're trying, you, you're trying to get over that, brother. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, bear your cross. Bear your death sentence. Because in that day and age, a person that was walking with a cross, guess what? It's a death sentence. Dead man walking. Bearing your cross means dying to yourself, laying aside your personal goals, your desires, your ambitions, so that God can reveal His desires and ambitions and goals for your life. Samuel Rutherford, 1600's Scottish pastor and theologian, turned politician, says, The cross of Christ is the sweetest burden that I, will ever, that I ever bore. 
It is a burden to me such as wings are to a bird or sails are to a ship to carry me forward to my harbor. Um, in the spirit of Pastor Lynn, he loves A.W. Tozer. And I found a quote by A.W. Tozer that I wanted to share with you along this same line. Man, you know that Tozer, he can cut you open. He can pour salt in you. And he can sew you back up. But he says, In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and there is a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps... This is at the bottom of the backsliding and the worldliness among gospel believers today. I love this part. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within this little kingdom of man's soul and wear our tinsel crown with the pride of a Caesar but we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. (laughs) Wow. So, number one, we love God more than anything else. Number two, deny yourself and take up your cross. Number three, forsake all that you have. He says in verse 33, he says, So likewise, whoever of you do not forsake, does not forsake of all that he has, here's that same thing, he cannot be my disciple. To forsake means to surrender your claim to, to say goodbye to. You remember this encounter that Jesus had with this young man that was wealthy? I think certain translations call him the rich young ruler. And, uh, you know, he was a moral man. Jesus lays down a prescription. Um, He had a throne, and he had a king on the throne of his heart. And that throne was possessed by a different king. But for him, his possessions was his king. His possessions possessed him. Um, And Jesus gave him this prescription that he just couldn't swallow. Little Wyatt, we took him to the doctor. He got a prescription for some steroids. I don't like it. I don't like it. That's what this young ruler, I don't like it, Jesus. I don't like it. And not many of us do. I mean, when we get down to the nitty gritty and when we actually apply what the Lord gave us to our heart, man, it cuts and it It does surgery on us. But Jesus was not implying that to follow Him, we need to take a vow of poverty. Um, He asked this young man to sell all that he had. Give the possessions to the poor, or give give the proceeds to the poor. Um, Jesus was able to kind of do an x-ray vision into this young man's heart and he saw that his possessions were what was on the throne. That was the king of his life. That was the God of this young man's life. If it had been anything else that was on the throne, that's what Jesus would have talked about. You know, if it would have been um, a lot of wives or, I don't know, I mean, just 
use your imagination. If it would have been anything else, Jesus would have talked about that. But that was the prescription that this young man needed. So until we realize that everything we have belongs to Jesus, we are not his disciples. It's Jesus. Um, it's not Jesus and family. It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus and wealth. It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus and status, prestige, power. It's just Jesus. It's a simple message. Requirement number four. Count the cost. Verse 28 says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? There are costs associated with walking this walk with Jesus. And it's not an easy sale sometimes to sell that to people. But Jesus underlines the importance of counting the cost for his discipleships. You know, many, I, I'm, in, I'm in retail, and we purposely, I'm sorry to break this little nugget of knowledge to you all, but we purposely put things in places for impulse buys, for impulsive buyers. Do you know that? There's a psychology to what we do. Um, many people make impulse purchases without considering the cost. Many people rush into marriages without considering the cost. Many people have children without considering the cost. Many people... Uh, begin new careers without considering the cost of what all it's going to bring. And sadly, some people do this whatever it's concerned about their... Or, or, many people, they don't count the cost whenever you're talking about commitment with Jesus. They, they walk into their commitment to Jesus the same way. It's impulsive. It's just impulsive. I, I suspect, I don't know, I wasn't there for that meeting wasn't invited to that party. But I suspect that whenever the board sat down here at TFA and said, you know, we need to do something to this foyer out here and get a place where whenever it rains, people can drive through and drop people off in a safe zone. I don't know. I know Pastor Lynn pretty well. But I imagine that they sat down and counted some cost and looked at some numbers and took some things into consideration that could go right, that could go wrong. I doubt, Brother Jim, that you all just said, let's just uh, call in a contractor and uh, let him tell us what we need. And whenever he needs it, we'll just cut him a check and uh, we'll just leave it open-ended. You're not wise if that's the way. Let me tell you something, uh, apart from Bible, if you deal with a contractor and you deal with him that way, you are not wise. You better get a contract you better uh, have it in writing and operate from the contract. But I doubt that, I, I, I'm just going to say this, I bet there was no open-ended proposals for what was done out here. They knew what they were getting into before they got into it. So Jesus takes something, Jesus was a master at taking things that were right in front of him or 
things that people were familiar with and, and using that as an illustration. What was Jesus' um, job? He was a carpenter. So Jesus knew about building things. He knew about building houses and stuff like that. So he uses building a tower. So he knew that building a new stately building, that it would be costly. And he also knew that war would be a dangerous undertaking. So this should let us know that there are great costs and great dangers in being his disciples. There are great costs associated with being the disciples of Jesus. However, there are also great rewards um, for those that are willing to step up. The disciple, here's some of the rewards. To the disciple, he's the one whom God will reveal more as that individual drinks his every word in, marking the inflection of his voice and the desire his, with his desire to obey. Number two, the disciple is one who lives the Christian life in all of its fullness, receiving all that God has for him. Number three, the disciple, uh, to the disciple, eat, this is awesome when you think about this. This should start your day off and, and just, to the disciple, each new day is a fresh opportunity to walk with God. Doesn't matter what you did yesterday, how bad you messed up yesterday. Every day is a fresh opportunity. To the disciple, life has purpose. We are not people without purpose. I talked to some of these atheist friends of mine, and they have no purpose, they're just existing. It, it, it's depressing whenever you talk to them. But if, if, you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have purpose. You have direction. And you know what? It's not just a little bit of direction. It's abundant direction. We are not people without a direction, without purpose, without hope. If you're, if you're part of the Jesus team, man, as, as Brother Larry would say, Wow! Wow! Do what? He would say it twice. He would say it twice. <laughs> Call him two-time Larry. You'll be listening to this later on, Pastor Larry, and I love you. Wow! Yes, it cost to follow Jesus, but it cost infinitely more not to. So we've got some choices to make, and I'm going to wrap it up right here. You can choose to live for yourself, or you can choose to deny yourself. You can choose to ignore the cross or to take it up. You can choose to seek uh, to save your life or to ultimately lose it. And whenever you lose it, you're actually investing your life so that you can ultimately find it. Someday the Lord's going to give me enough patience to sit down and to do a study that just talks about all these paradoxes that work in Scripture. 
You can choose to gain the world or you can choose to forsake the world. You can choose to love your soul or you can choose to keep it. So, as we wrap up, I want to just want a couple things touch on that we touched on, but these are kind of some highlights. Um, being a disciple, number one, being a disciple of Jesus is of greater importance than any achievement that you may have ever been a part of. And I encourage you, I beg of you to treat that honor that we get to follow Jesus, to, to treat that honor as the most costly thing that you've ever had the opportunity to participate in. What we have with Jesus is so precious. I look at that little baby when she was born. Precious. But the blood of Jesus, more precious. Number two, to make new disciples, there has to be current disciples to make new disciples. New, to make new disciples, current disciples have to step up to the role and do their part. So I want to ask you this. Who are you discipling? If you can think of two or three, great. But I mean, if you really have to scratch and say, well, I told Nelda that um, God could take care of her problem. You can't think of who you're really pouring yourself into. You need to talk to God. Because you're either discipling someone or you're being discipled most of the time. Which is it for you? Number three, your love for God should be so strong that your love for others is like hatred in comparison. Remember that whole Sonic Master Blast? Sonic Waffleberry Master Blast. And they've also got another one over there that ain't too bad either, but it's not as good as that one. Or the Winn-Dixie ice cream uh, sandwich. It's better than no ice cream sandwich, but that... So, guess where we're stopping on the way home. So your love for God should be so strong that it's drastic difference than your love for everything else. And then daily, number four, last thing, daily ask yourself this one question. Whenever you get up, on the, get up in the mornings and it's time to start your day, Paul, who's on the cross and who's on the throne today? Paul, are you going to be on the throne or is Jesus going to be on the throne today? I may, even, um, I may even make that the tagline of my emails at work. See what kind of reaction I get out of that. See, see what corporate person's going to send me an email and say, you can't have that on your... But, um, yeah. Who, who's on the cross and who's on the throne? Wow! <laughs> Heavenly Father, I love this group of people and I know you do more. So I just thank you for them. I pray that this week we would find 
those that we can disciple. And Lord, bring Jesus to life in our community and in our fellowship here. God, I just, there are some wonderful, wonderful people that are involved here in this, in this uh, fellowship. And uh, I am honored to be a part of it. I am proud to call this home. And I just uh, thank you for this opportunity tonight. We pray for our pastor tonight, God. Lord, thank you for a teacher. Thank you for someone that truly loves this flock that you have given him uh, the ability to under-shepherd you, God. I just uh, I thank you for Pastor Lynn and Sister Lynn. I pray that your manifold blessings would be upon their lives, God. And Lord, that you would just do uh, give him a restorative time while he's uh, traipsing around through the woods in South Carolina. Keep him safe, God, but let him enjoy his time with his friends as he stops back through Georgia and gets to see Jason's family. Just pray that you would bless that time with him, God. And Lord, just keep him safe on the road and let him hear your voice between here and there every day, God. And I just, Lord, I want to say thank you for the gift that you gave us in Jesus. Lord, thank you that this time of year, everywhere we look, even if people don't like Christmas and they say holiday, we're still talking about a holy day for Jesus, Lord. And I thank you that um, it's everywhere and that people cannot extinguish this love for Jesus and this appreciation for Jesus, God. Let Christians be bold this week. Let Christians stand up and say, we love Jesus and we thank Jesus and we live for Jesus. We're disciples of Jesus. Lord, have your way. Do what you want to do in Tuscaloosa and let us be a part of it, God. You're amazing to us, Lord. And we just give you thanks and we give you praise tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.